Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Professor Juan Coronado. Juan David Coronado is Assistant Professor of Public History and Latino History at Central Connecticut State University. Dr. Coronado is a social historian whose research interests include the Mexican-American military experience, Chicana and Chicano history, oral history, Latina and Latino history with an emphasis on class and gender. His award-winning book, I'm Not Gonna Die in This Damn Place, Manliness, Identity, and Survival of the Mexican-American Vietnam Prisoner of War, uh, published in two, 2018, lies at the intersection of Mexican-American military, oral, and U.S. history while also furthering dialogue on gender. He's also a fellow fronterizo from South Texas, whose work I admire. Bienvenido a este episodio, Juan. Hola, Elena, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien. Uh, Juan, tell me about growing up in South Texas and the place you live in now. I assume you cannot get the same delicious food we can get back home. Of course you can, ¿verdad? <laughs> este, I was born in, I, I, I grew up in the 1980s mm -hmm. in, in South Texas, in El Valle. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm from Edinburgh, Texas. And I was born in a time that In the 1980s, pues, pues el valle era diferente. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we couldn't embrace the culture like we do nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, especially once you got to, to school, ¿verdad? Porque, pues era diferente, ¿no? Te creas muy mexicano, and then you get to the schools, mm -hmm. and it was all about embracing Americanism. Mm -hmm. so, so it was a very different era back then. And in the place that I connect with now, I'm in Connecticut now, and pues es, es diferente, es, es muy diferente. La, la, la gente acá, pues es, pues no, 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 no es la gente nuestra. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just have to get used to just embracing a different place. And, you know, along my trajectory, I got different to, I, I, I got used to different people in the Midwest and now here in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 it's different. It's a, a different Latino over here. We have uh, a lot of Puerto Ricanos over mm -hmm. here, but still the Northeastern mindset, which is very different. Mm -hmm. So I've come from very different extremes. Right, right. What kinds of foods are you learning to eat there? <laughs> If you don't mind me asking. No, pues es que aprecias lo que tienes. Mm -hmm. Y cuando lo tuviste, nunca lo aprecias. Porque allá en, en Texas, en, en el Valle, en México, pues yo, yo me creé en, ahí en la frontera. Right. Este, for us, on the weekends, we go to Reynosa, or for my family's from, from Nuevo León, mm -hmm. o si vamos para Nuevo León, muy seguido para la, para la palmita ahí, un ejido ahí cerca de los Aldamas, Nuevo León. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was... It was normalized, you know, la, y, y la cultura, la comida, mm -hmm, y mm -hmm. pues acá, pues, pues, pues no existe, ¿no? Mm -hmm. y, y uno lo que va entendiendo es que, pues, vas apreciando, apreciando más lo, lo que tuviste en tu, en, en tu vida, ¿no? Right. You, you, you come to appreciate, you know, the, 
huevos con frijoles that you have for <laughs> breakfast every morning or, or the papas con huevo or, la machaca or, or, con huevo. you know, mm-hmm. o si, del norte, mm-hmm. la machaca con, y acá pues no existe. So you learn to appreciate uh, uh, that aspect of your life even more. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you mentioned you have moved around a couple of times and also lived in the Midwest uh, and that stayed up north as we like to call it here in Ohio as a, a postdoctoral scholar. Tell me about your academic journey. Um, are you a first generation college graduate, uh, first generation PhD in your family? Pues sí, pues mm-hmm. no había más este my mom, my mother and my father, uh, unfortunately, they didn't have the opportunities like I did. Este, mm-hmm. el, en el ranchito donde vi, vivía mi mamá en Nuevo León, pues, there was only up to fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all she could go up to, you know, and she was a U.S. citizen, so she came to the U.S. as a field worker. Mm-hmm. And my father, my father was a farm worker himself. So his family would migrate And my father, as soon as, you know, right after his father died at the age of 14, he started providing for the family también. So, you know, neither one of them got the opportunity to excel in their education. So so they were farm workers. And este, I, I, fortunately, I have an older sister, and she went to college before I did. Mm. So by the time that I went to college, well, at least she showed me the works down there in the valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when I started going to college, I already knew, okay, well, you're going to get a bachelor's. And then fortunately, I had a, I had a really good professor, a historian, uh, Dr. Rocha, Rodolfo Rocha. Mm. And he's like, hey, you're going to go off and get a master's degree, and then you're going to get a PhD. <laughs> and, and that's, that's how you know, I, I became uh, a scholar. Este, uh, there, there were good Chicanos at Pan American, they're at Pan Am, that wanted other Chicanos to excel. And uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm a first generation college graduate, mm-hmm. uh, a first generation PhD. Mm-hmm. Este, we, we, we learn it a little differently. In, in the Midwest, pues, pues, you know, I got a PhD and I was teaching down in South Texas. And uh, being from South Texas, I want to stay down there porque pues uno quiere estar cerca de la familia y todo eso, ¿no? Right. Este, because that means a lot to us, you know, being being there for your mother, your your family, your tíos, your tías, your primos. Mm-hmm. Y pues, este, desafortunadamente, en el proceso falleció mi papá mm-hmm. y pues me fui para el valle. Y, y allá, allá tuve, 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 And um, and it was good, you know, working at Pan Am with 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 border kids, with kids mm-hmm. from Mexico, mm-hmm. from from the from from El Valle. That that was good. And um, I was still trying to get back in the game of, of academia, and I applied for a post uh, for, for for a post scholarship, mm-hmm. you know, to be a, a postdoctoral scholar, and I got it at MSU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. What what, uh, what was your research focus um, there in at MSU? Well, at MSU, I had the fortune of working with uh, Dr. Ruben Martinez, mm-hmm. and um, Dr. Ru- Ruben Martinez is the 
director of the Julian Zamora Research Institute at Michigan State. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that institute is really well focused in the community on the well-being of Latinos nationally. Mm. So my research shifted on just solely looking at Chicanos to looking at, you know, Chicanos, Latinos in general in the Midwest, mm -hmm. uh, to, to looking at Latinos across the country. And under the leadership of Martinez, you know, we started looking at, you know, we started looking at Latinos there in the Midwest and, and their different struggles mm -hmm. and looking at, at the struggles of, um, I don't know if you know the term H2A, these are guest workers that come to the country mm. every year as guest workers. Mm -hmm. So I started doing some work with, with, with farm workers as well mm -hmm. and just getting a, a better feel of the struggles of everyday Latinos uh, across the nation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we began to develop programs on education, uh, we de developed a program called Exito Educativo, where we teach Latino families of what it takes for a person to graduate from high school, to get enrolled in a, in a university, mm -hmm. and moving along those lines. Because, you know, los, los pro problemas que tenemos son, son demasiado, ¿verdad? Mm -hmm. este, so we began to tackle down uh, problem by problem and education was at the top of the list, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and we began to work with the community in that regard. Right. How to, how to remove some of the barriers maybe, um, you know, to, to get to that uh, graduation and, and enter into higher ed, I imagine. Of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. Juan, uh, I think you and I met at, uh, at an oral history association meeting maybe two years ago, or was it Twitter? I, I really don't know. There's a lot of people that I've that I've met via Twitter, uh, you know, over the past few years. Um, how did you begin your work with oral history? Was that always the center of your of your work as a graduate student? I'm really insulted, Melinda. <laughs> you should remember when we met. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. Whether, whether it was Minneapolis or or uh, California, Long Beach, I think it was Minneapolis. Okay, yeah, uh, I don't think anyhow, I went to Long Beach, but, or I don't even remember. I, <laughs> I think I it think, was Minneapolis. I think it was Minneapolis. <laughs> yes. Unless it was uh, Canada, I don't know. <laughs> but anyhow, I think as a, as a Chicano, I'm a Chicano, mm -hmm. Mexicano Chicano, mm -hmm. uh, gro growing up on the border... I think oral history was natural to me. Mm -hmm. Storytelling, yeah. Porque si, te, porque si te acuerdas cuando nos juntamos, todas las familias mm -hmm. así, you know, we would meet up and uh, our families would start remembering the old days. And, mm -hmm. and with my family, uh, you know, they would rem remember stories from La Palmita and mm -hmm. And they start discussions on the table, you know, no, no, pues cuando pusieron la luz en el rancho and blah, 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 you know, like, mm -hmm. like, and they they would start these arguments, right? And and as a kid, uh, you knew that you couldn't always partake in these discussions, you know? Mm -hmm. So you would have to, like, time it well. Like, okay, I could ask a question if there's, like, a, a real pause in the conversation, <laughs> and maybe I could input. Uh -huh. Because if I choose the bad time to talk, pues te van a decir, 
esta, esta es plática para adultos, you know, like, like they will shut you're you down out. real quick. You know, you're out. Right. Y, y pues, no, ¿verdad? So, so I learned, I learned by, like, you know, like you learn by trading, right? Right. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of failures, but once, one thing that was consistent was that I would always keep the conversation going as mm. a kid. Mm. E, and, uh, As a result, I became uh, a leader in my family. You mm. know, uh, they would pull me into these conversations mm. and they would pull me into these barbecues and they would pull me into these, mm -hmm. these talks. And, pues, gracias, you know, gracias a mi familia, you know, porque ellos siempre, hasta, hasta hoy en día, you know, este, mis tíos y mi tía, mis tías me aprecian mucho. Mm -hmm. Y mm -hmm. yo los aprecio a ellos también. Uh, but they trained me. They trained me mm -hmm. as an oral historian be because I got used to asking the hard questions. And and you learn because if you ask a stupid question, was <laughs> you know they're gonna let you know hey, you asked a stupid question, right? <laughs> and as an oral historian, that's what you want. As an oral historian, that's what you want. You want to be able to interact mm -hmm. and gain trust. But you, it's not only about trust; it's about comfort, especially with Latinos. Mm -hmm. With Latinos. It, it, it's about comfort. And if you make somebody uncomfortable, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whoa, 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 that's a big no-no. Right. Your, 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 your interviewee is about to shut down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So I think I was born to be an oral historian. <laughs> And then, you know, I went up the ranks, you know, as a undergraduate, as a graduate. Uh, I always employed um, oral history. Mm-hmm. As as a, as a methodology, but mm -hmm. I'm really trying to develop it more as a theory, in the sense that estas gentes, estas personas que mm -hmm. nunca les han preguntado, mm -hmm. you know, how they felt, how mm -hmm. they saw a subject, they're the people that need to be talked to. They they're the people who need to be interviewed. They're mm -hmm. the people who need to be included in 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 the history in the narrative, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's what happens is that people don't include us. People, people just forget about us. Mm -hmm. So, so little by little, I, I began to talk to people, began to include them into the historical narrative. And that was my goal, just, just, mm -hmm. just for our people to be represented in, in, in the historical narrative. Right. You know, I think it was last uh, year, just last um, fall when we were at Utah. I remember this. <laughs> so give me credit for that, Juan. <laughs> um, I was um, at, at your panel and, and you mentioned something like that, right? That you you you're, you were trained as a child and, and that many of us who are Latinos doing this type of work in some sense have been trained as children um, when we when we sat down, you know, at the family table um at a family gathering, just listening, right? And when we were not asked to leave, because this was una conversación para adultos, right? Uh, when we were careful, when, when we, we and we learned quickly, right? Um, just like you said, um, when to ask or, or when to just, you know, listen. Um, and those stories, um, I remember that myself too, right? I, I really appreciate it, you saying that um, at the conference, because... 
Yes, I, I've said, um, you know, I, I had said that before. Yeah, you know, in, in our in our culture, um, you know, storytelling is very common and, 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 you know, you hear stories, but I had never thought about it as a training yeah, yeah, for me or for us um, that are doing this type of work, um, you know, collecting stories, interviewing people and, and knowing, um, you know, to listen and to ask the right questions at the right moment. Um, uh, and that that has been our training since we were young, right? Uh, listening and engaging and and talking to people and and making them feel comfortable when when they're sharing their life um, cuentos, no? Los cuentos de 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 de, de la familia de de sus vecindarios, de, de los abuelos, and, and all of that stuff. Um, it is our training. Um, and so I appreciate you saying that, uh, you know, last year, uh, it gave me a different perspective of like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, this is our training. <laughs> this has been our training all, all of our lives. Absolutely. Y, y, y lo digo porque es, es la realidad, right? You know, when, when when our families open up about their stories or your interviewees up, open up these stories, you know, they're sacred to them, ¿verdad? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we must really appreciate them for what they are, for how sacred they are. And these are personal stories that they're, they're taking their time to just open up to mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So, so you always keep that in mind and, and you're grateful for that and, and you honor them and, and you hold them sacred, you know, for what they are. Right. Absolutely. Right. Um, so one thing that you said, and this is uh, my next question has to do with that, right? Because you are documenting or, you know, part of your work is documenting the Mexican-American military experience. But you do deal uh -huh. with a lot of sensitive topics and trauma experiences, right? And so this is a different type of storytelling and story and listening and, um, and you know, making your narrator comfortable with, with talking or bringing up trauma stories and experiences. Uh, so tell me about this work. Why, why were you interested in, in, in this um, uh, stories, uh, Mexican-American military experience? And how do you deal with, with those, you know, um, often very traumatic stories of, of, of uh, men that were, you know, in war times? Uh, Elena, we live in very divisive times. Mm -hmm. where things are politicized and maybe my work has been politicized over over the last few years but uh, I never meant for my work to be politicized and I, I never meant for what I talk about to be politicized or the story of these individuals to be politicized I, I, I try to speak the truth and I, I try to stick as true to their storytelling as possible mm -hmm. uh, the reason I talk about the Mexican-American military experience is because um, we're often forgotten. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you know, we, we look at the era, the era that we're living in, we're, we're talking about a neoliberal nationalist era where, you know, the, the power on top is talking about um, very racist things that keeps our neighborhoods divided, that keeps our people divided, a very nationalist era where there's very anti-immigrant sentiment out there. And when people think about Latinos, when people think about Mexican-Americans or Chicanos, they look at, 
they look at us as immigrants mm -hmm. or as foreigners. Mm -hmm. Y la mera verdad is that we're not. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, you know, our people have been here from day one, mm -hmm. you know, whether we're talking about people being in the United States way before the United States was a country, mm -hmm. or w when we're looking at Latinos participating in, you know, the American Revolution, you know, and of course, my work is a little bit more contemporary, but I always look at the contributions that these men And these women, uh, nowadays it's women because we have a, a great number of Latinas who are out there serving in the U.S. military. But the contributions that these folks have had in, in, in the U.S. military, and it, it has always been consistent. You know, they have always been, whether the numbers have been disproportionate or right now we have... We have about 16, 17, about 16% of Latinos make up the U.S. population. You know, that, that's what they're out there. You know, the, the numbers in the active military is about the same. You know, they're, they're out there in great numbers. Y cuando hablan de nosotros, pues, you know, they talk about us as, as immigrants, mm -hmm. as criminals, or as whatnot, ¿verdad? And the, the fact of the matter is, is that we're not. You know, we're, we're, we're as American as anybody else. We're contributing, and you need to stop talking to us uh, or about us in in the wrong way. So, so that 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 is why I've I've ended up focusing on the Mexican American military experience. And 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 think about it, you know, like being discriminated, especially in the Vietnam War era, you know, being discriminated, being considered as less than American. But mm -hmm. these guys are still sacrificing all they have you know, for the flag, for democracy, or wh whatever you want to call it, right? They're still at it, you know? Uh, you know, that that's patriotism. Mm -hmm. And our community needs to be acknowledged for it. Right, right. Um, so tell me about the, the book, this book I mentioned earlier, um, I'm Not Gonna Die in This Damn Place, Manliness, Identity, and Survival of the Mexican-American Vietnam Prisoners of War. Uh, and by the way, congratulations on winning an award for it. Um, we know that there is a history of maybe you and I, I mean, it's not, um, it's not taught regularly, right, in our history books that Mexican Americans have served um, in the military for, for generations, right? Um, the reasons uh, sometimes are good and sometimes maybe not always good. Uh, why they joined the military. Uh, but I'm interested in your argument that, uh, and I'm going to quote here, Chicano masculine identity, or machismo, emerging from life in the borderlands motivated Mexican Americans to serve in combat and influence their survival strategies during captivity. Uh, so first of all, why use the term machismo here? Uh, that's a good question, Elena, y gracias, gracias por la pregunta, pero uh, what happens a lot, and especially during these times, we, we, we live in highly de divisive times, you mm -hmm. know, where, you know, even within Latinos, men and women can talk about these kinds of things, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, in us Latinos, we look at the term machismo or machista as usually as a negative term. Mm -hmm. And okay, for, 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 for good reasons, ¿verdad? Porque hay gente que está oprimida, mujeres que, que, que están dañadas, y, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, or vice versa, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but the term 
the term macho, you know, when when you go to the root of it, it it just seems it it, it describes uh, male, right? It, it, uh, the term macho is male in mm-hmm, Spanish, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did it get, get such a negative connotation? Right. So my one of my re- rationales behind it was like I traced the term. And going back to the 1920s, people were discussing this. Philosophers in Mexico were talking about it. People like Samuel Ramos were talking about this in, in Mexico in the 1920s and 1930s. Mm-hmm. And they they really started to talk about two two different types of machismos. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what Samuel Ramos called as real or positive machismo and negative machismo. Mm-hmm. And Americans were kind of talking about this, about this the same especially in frontier life out there where we were from, from, from El Valle, mm-hmm. which was forgotten. You know, people forgot about us. So, so we had to develop our own type of livelihood. And the macho was a male. Mm-hmm. He was the father of the family who provided for the family. And people ma- might disagree with this, but, you know, what I try to do with my research, I was trying to put, I, I was trying to redefine machismo mm-hmm. and saying, okay, well, it's not about the guy who's abusing the wife mm-hmm. or who, who, who oppresses women, but he's that fatherly figure who wants to produce for the family, mm-hmm. who wants to raise his family in the right way, uh, who wants to uh, make sure that everything is good for the family. He's the caretaker of the family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of machismo too, mm-hmm. but in a very divisive society. You know, they they look at us as okay. He's the oppressor. You know, mm-hmm. he's the the Latino boxer who 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 never knows how to quit. He he's the guy who's out there trying to father so many children. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like they put all these negative aspects on us, and and like we're not about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I started interviewing these Latino veterans, mm-hmm. these Chicano veterans, you know, I connected it with what they wanted to do in life. And all they told me was, hey, I served in Vietnam because at the end of that war, I want to get a job to feed my family, mm. to provide for them. And, you know, that's that's the machismo that I grew up with, not not being a, an oppressor, but contributing to the family. So honorable, you more know, of an honorable role within society. A Wilson, yes, mm-hmm. of course, you know, like, we, we want to be able to do that. And, mm-hmm. and there's different aspects of that. But, you know, the term that has been perpetuated out there, the term that has been uh, pushed by not us, but by the popular culture, the popular means is, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he's a machista. He, he's, a mach- he's a macho guy. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Like, no, no, there, there's a different aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, y la mera verdad, Elena, es que, pues, Pues es que it, it's more complicated that, than we try to try, try to define it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more to that story. So when I use the term machista and, and machismo, I, I I go through the book talking about it. You know, and and these guys had a different complexity. You know, they were trying to adjust to a society that was different from their norms growing up as working class young men, mm-hmm. and. You know, that's what they were taught. You know, you grow up, you get a job to provide the family. And in the 1950s United States, that's what it was. You know, Uh, Americans called it the ideal family wage, uh, where a man earns enough money to provide for the family. 
And, and yeah, it's sexist, right? But it's a term of the time, mm-hmm. you know, and it, if you're living in that time, well, you embrace it, right? You, you, that's what you do. Uh, and that's all these, these Chicanos were trying to do was trying to provide for their families, regardless of what it took. And the military was a good avenue for that, mm-hmm. you know, never mind that they were trying to unleash an imperialist war against the people of South Vietnam, Mm. you know, I also talk about that in my book, but, you know, for them growing up with, you know, inequality, racism, you know, they embraced that. And that was their, that their way to climb up that social ladder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were the men that you um, interviewed from South Texas, or is there a particular region where you conducted this interviews? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, the Vietnam War era POWs uh, were not the men you usually find find from South uh, from South Texas. Mm. Uh, the the majority of the prisoners of war in Vietnam were college educated white officers. Mm. Uh, there were only about six hundred and change prisoners of war during that time. Y la mayoría eran eran pilotos americanos. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a small fraction of African American and Latino uh, infantry uh, foot soldiers mm-hmm. that were captured in South Vietnam. Uh, the majority of them were pilots that were shot down in North Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So there were none from the valley. There were none from the valley. Uh, there was one guy from San Antonio, uh, a couple of guys from California. Nuevo Mexico, uh, Central Texas. Um, unfortunately, I did not get to do any of the interviews in the Valley. I, I traveled the, ho- the whole country mm-hmm. uh, looking for these men and talking to them, but none of them were from the Valley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That talks to the limitations that exist in our area, you know, and people don't like it. This is what makes people uncomfortable, you know, talking about social class, Mm-hmm. And talking about opportunities, and this was a reflection of that, that in the military, there weren't opportunities for our people, whether you're talking about Latinos, whether you're talking about African Americans or women at the time, mm-hmm. you know, there was no way for them to move up the social ranks at that given time. The men who got uh, taken prisoners of war were officers, uh, white officers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. What is next for you? What are you working on now as part of your research? What's next? Well, wherever I move into, I really like to talk to the community. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was in Texas, I was doing oral history. Um, And in Texas, I was doing baseball. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Michigan, uh, with with, uh, Dr. Martinez, I was working on uh, Latinos in Michigan. And before this whole pandemic happened, uh, I was going to launch a uh, Latinos in Connecticut oral history project. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was going to be my baby. I w- um, I'm working to launch a Latinos in Connecticut oral history project to begin recording uh, the early Latinos. A lot of them were Puerto Ricanos who came to work tobacco uh, here in, um, in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, that was going to be my project, but uh, my overall project is going to be Latinos in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's going to be my next book on Latinos in the Korean War. 
and their their forgotten history. Uh, but I always I always remain active. You know, I I, I try to record uh, oral histories from El Valle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to do a project on. Um, uh, you're from you're, you're from Bronzeville, right? From Matamoros, yeah. Matamoros. Mm-hmm. So in Edinburgh, they had a Hager's plant, uh, the Hager's plant factory, and in McAllen, they had the Levi factory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in West Laco, they had another pan factory. Y la mayoría de las trabajadoras eran 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 chicanas, eran mexicoamericanas, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Um, my mom was a worker at Hager's there in Edinburgh, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to record the history of those workers. I was going to ask yeah. you, uh, it seems like a lot of the work that you've done, um, at least, you know, for the book um, we just talked about, and then when you say uh, experiences of Latinos in Korean War, I imagine as primarily male or all male. Um, so I, I was uh, wondering if you had interest in also recording the, the history of of women, of Chicanas or Latinas. The, yeah, absolutely. The best interviews I ever did were with the wives. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With the wives of the POWs, they they put up with a lot, especially in the Vietnam War era, mm-hmm. where um, you know they were they were significant contributors in in the post post traumatic stress that these individuals mm-hmm. were feeling, you know, right. the, the women were there to experience it with them and building blocks. Um, with this project that I have going on right now with um, Mujeres en la Fabrica, mm-hmm. and that's what I call the one out of Hagers in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were women who, especially in the 1970s and 1980s in, in El Valle that we're talking about, you know, these women were contributing to, to their families. And, and many times they were displacing the husband's Mm. as being the breadwinners in the family. And, um, and and here's where we talk about the negative connotations of, of machismo, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is something that we always look at, the negative aspects of it. And the negative aspects, oh, okay, well, right? if, mm-hmm. if you're, you're out there earning the money. So uh, this is one of the things I'm talking about in this ne- next article where these women, you know, just like, hey, you know what? I don't need to put up with an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need to put up with uh, this type. And, and, and unfortunately, it exists right in our in our in our culture, uh, and especially during that time where you know these women are employed and they're making good money and and they have their own space there in these factories. Mm-hmm. So that is my my one project right now that I really really wish I had more time, and unfortunately. Uh, I'm not down in the valley where I could conduct it, but I'm going to have to make more and more um, phone calls to record mm-hmm. these oral histories. Right. But that's just the era that we're living in right now. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope to, con- to to finish that project soon. That's great. That's great. Uh, Juan, is there anything else you would like to add to this conversation about your work, about um, maybe your involvement with, uh, with uh, Latino students at uh, your current university? Or, or you, anything, anything that you uh, would like to add? Pues, um, you know, uh, we're like, like I told you earlier, Elena. You know, we're living in very divisive times, and you know, for an unfortunate reason or deliberate reason, you know, our struggles become politicized, mm-hmm. and the struggles of Latinos shouldn't be politicized. You know, um, Dr. Martinez in Michigan 
state would always say that we're 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 amongst the most disconnected population and he would correct himself and say we're not disconnected we're unconnected hmm. and our struggles shouldn't be politicized you know our people are really struggling in life and it shouldn't be harder for them to to coexist in the society like you know, I became a historian because of the political environment that existed behind our history. You know, growing up in South Texas, our history was ignored. Mm. You know, growing up in Edinburgh or, or McAllen or Fad or Bronzeville, you know, they would not include our history in, in the history books mm -hmm. or in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, you know, I was trained as a historian early on because... I wanted to see my people, you know, being taught to our kids, you know, whether it was in the, the third grade or the fourth grade when they teach Texas history or the seventh grade mm -hmm. when they teach Texas history, you know, uh, you know, our history needs to be included because we have been participants in this society. Right. So, uh, you know, fortunately, I'm at Central Connecticut State University. Uh, my president, Zulma Toro, mm -hmm. uh, is Puerto Rican. And we want to see more students, whether they're Puerto Ricanos, students of color, making in, in higher ed, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they have been debilitated for so many years. Uh, you know, we want to see them uh, integrate in, this, in the system, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it's, a, it's a part of me. It's who I am, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that's the historian that I am. You know, I, I want to see our people represented at at all levels of, of edu education. Right, right. Uh, Juan, uh, muchas gracias por esta conversación. Sí, cómo no. No, no, el placer es mío. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Sí.